Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever in the world you may be. You know everything, and this is the Quantum Business Book Club series. You can always tell where I am, because it's afternoon. I guess that doesn't actually disclose where I am. It just discloses, discloses the time of day I am recording this. So that might not matter at all. <laughs> But it is, whew, it is a Friday afternoon, my friends, and I am admittedly excited. You know, it's funny because like weekends, weekdays doesn't really make much of a difference to me, but there's just something about Friday. Am I right? And, you know, it's, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing it's an apt time for me to be recording this particular episode because this is a book and really a way of thinking, a way of living that encapsulates the Friday afternoon. The book is The Art of Possibility. The authors are Roz and Ben Zander. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, most of these books I've, I read frequently. This book has traveled with me from hemisphere to states to houses to offices and back. And when I was sort of looking at how I wanted this this series of books, the the first sort of 12 books of the Quantum Business Book Club to unravel, the art of possibility could not be ignored. And this felt like the right time to bring this book in. We're going to start to get a little bit more kind of mindset and heady. I think we've talked a lot about business, a lot about finance, a lot about sort of the systems and structures. And this is the the first book. I mean, I'll be real. This is the first book that I cried a lot while rereading it for this episode. And I actually don't remember doing that the first time I read this book. The first time I read this book, I believe was 2012. And so I was still in Australia. I did not realize that I was going to be leaving Australia. I don't know if I've talked about this a lot. I got my MBA at the Sydney Opera House. That's a whole nother story. But I think that's how this this book fell into my lap. The Ben Zander is the, or was, I don't know what he's doing right now, to be honest, but uh, he was the conductor for the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And if you're in the orchestral or symphonic scene, <laughs> there are there are certain organizations that really kind of set the tone. And although most major metropolitan cities have both a symphony and an orchestra, not all of them lead sort of the international pack in terms of recognition and acclaim and just notoriety. The Boston Philharmonic Orchestra is definitely one of those or orchestras, one of those organizations. And being the conductor is like a really big deal. So like the, it was probably that a lot of the study, uh, well, I was going to say case studies, a lot of the stories in this are very musical. They highlight musical artists and performers, but also Ben, because of his position as a leader in the creative industries, he's often asked to speak in front of corporations, in front of all sorts of different groups of people where leadership, but leading from a place of creativity and inspiration is a value. Now his wife and partner is a family therapist, but who has also really dedicated her life to improvement, to growth, to development. And the two of them often work in tandem with each other. I think her superpower is absolutely taking Ben's sort of creative prowess and inspiration. And I always talk about it like tapping into that higher groove, but kind of ground it in system 
program process and lectures. So they wrote this book. It is a New York Times bestseller when that still meant something. (laughs) And you're not gaming some fucking algorithm, right? And I admittedly hadn't read this book in a minute. I knew it was, I've known it was going to be one of the first books I talked about in the Quantum Business Book Club. And rereading this book, I, I can't tell you how fucking grateful I am that I gave myself this gift. It touched me in ways I just don't think I was capable of being touched <laughs> when I first read this book. And I, I think I've read it a couple times. I remember it came up again in the Creative Meets Biz conference that used to happen in Austin. And and that kind of reminded me about this amazing book. It actually first came out, I think, in the early 2000s. And so it's it's kind of bubbling around the surface. I think there, some of the books I'm going to be talking about moving forward are are the less notorious, the less, that's not a real world word, BZ, the lesser of the like quintessential business books that you're going to see. So I think I started out with uh, Think and Grow Rich, which is like a seminal book. I think everybody in business has probably read that book. Or like it's on a list with an intention to read. I don't know about The Art of Possibility. I really... Like of all the books, I would say like, go out and get this one. This is one of them only because the stories are just, they're just beautiful. And Ben's ability to craft a story and to tie that back into learning, it's that gives you a real anchor for some of this more like esoteric mindset, emotional style, conscious leadership. It's just, it's really fucking powerful. And so I'm going to approach this a little bit differently as well. I'm I'm really just going to take you through the framework that's presented, but I'm going to leave out the last step. The last step is what Ben and Roz refer to as visionless mission statements. And they have a unique definition of what qualifies as a vision. So I would encourage you, if you were listening to this, to get the book. If you don't get the book, I'm sure you can just Google visionless mission statements, the art of possibility, and, and someone will have given you the, the spoiler alert, the last chapter. So I'm going to I'm going to start with that and actually I'm going to kind of work a little bit backwards because I think the last step actually frames the, the like the magic in this particular perspective. So obviously the art of possibility is about possibility. It's about that intangible result, the thing we can't plan for. And in business, in life, there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of pressure. And then, you know, there's a lot of advice, a lot of how-to, a lot of my way or the highway. And it's the things you can't plan for that actually define your life and experience, right? Like kind of the things that make you you. And by shifting into a space where what you're planning on is a possibility, or it's almost like you're banking on the miracle, it, it kind of changes everything. But it absolutely allows you to tap into a style of leadership and productivity and connection that may elude the person stuck in the systems and the structures and the spreadsheets. And as someone who preaches that constantly, the the irony is not lost, my friend. But so I'm going to start with the last step only because I think it will help you frame why this matters. And so the 12th practice of the art or I should say, I suppose, in the art of possibility is telling the we story. And the reason I think this will sort of give you a little bit more buy-in as we kind of go through the first 11 steps, the we story is just, it's, it's the we, right? It's like this collective synergy. It's the idea that you listening to this 
with me creates something new. We are now connected. And this is, again, why I came up with the, the term quantum business book club. It's, it is jumping on the bandwagon. I will be very transparent. But it is also like why I love reading. As I can be transported to any place in any time with a fucking genius. And when their ideas interweave with my own ideas, my own perspectives, the way that I think about things, something entirely new is created. And that's fucking magic. I'm time traveling. I'm sharing space with dead people. <laughs> ben and Ross aren't dead, just for the record, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, I'm probably like punching way, way above my weight. Like, you know, for me to sit in the same room with the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra, like, not, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen, but like I'm currently holding him in my hand right now. And that to me is, is playing off this idea of quantum. And that I think is what this 12th step, 12 steps. I didn't, I just put that together right now. And the art of possibility challenges you to do is to understand like, this is a collective co-creative group project. And it's interesting that even though I might not know you, I probably do on some level, we've probably connected, but you know, I'm not inviting you over for dinner tonight, <laughs> but like we are connected. And in my creating this, there's someone listening to this who I've never met. And I don't know from a bar of soap and you, my friend are my friend and we are connected now. I can't see that connection. I can't touch it. And I don't know how my words, my explanation, my translation of the art of possibility, how that's going to affect you, nor do I know what you're going to do with it. And so together, we are creating something that we don't even know what the fuck it's going to look like. That is the art of possibility. And it is in our shared collective experience, you and me, that it's happening. And so I think, like, again, as I kind of go through these next 11 steps, and what the, the, the telling the we story means is, like, I can tell this story. I can take a step. I can create a plan. I can build without knowing what's going to happen next. That's the possibility. And by trusting this evolutionary process, by trusting that which we cannot see, nor prove, nor understand, nor predict, we create the next step. Something that is bigger than me or you occurs. And it's not like, it's like not real until it is. And it, it actually demands this exercise, this trust exercise, this exploration in order to exist. So that's that's the 12th step shared with you first and sort of take that on as we kind of stumble through the next 11 together. Let's, let's see where we land. So the, the first step, and I think appropriately so, and obviously I love this book because it's, it speaks to me. It, it, it validates and reinforces the way that I've certainly come to work with my environment, my work, my people. But it's like when someone, anytime somebody puts a framework to it and steps it out, that that my brain fucking loves that. Like I like to take things apart so I can put them back together again. And the first step reinforces that, even though I shared the 12th step was the first step, but you know where I'm going with this. So the first step as Ben and Roz uh, put forward is all invented. And what they mean by that is in order to step into this practice and possibility, the first thing we really need to understand is like 
everything up until this is a construct. It's an assumption based on our interpretation of reality. And the way I like the way I've been sort of playing with this idea is that all beliefs are limiting. You know, I hear people tell me beliefs all the time. I'll share my own, just not to speak out of school, but um, I'm I've struggled with learning new languages. So the way I play with that is I'm really great at languages. And I said it to a friend of mine who's also trying to study Spanish and moving to Mexico City. She's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. I, it's been really hard for me. And it was like this pretty fun little play because I, I mean, I am stating <laughs> until I'm blue in the face, I am really great at languages because otherwise I'm creating a reality where I am limited. And so much of our experience comes from an assumption that we're making an interpretation that we're not even aware of. And so in all invented, the practice simply is just really questioning, what am I assuming here? What am I taking for granted? What am I assuming like everybody else thinks and then agrees with me about? And and I think a, a helpful reframe within this practice is to simply say, where can I create more choice? When I'm working with my clients, I'll often challenge them by saying, I get that you don't know, but pretend that you do. What happens next? And so, you, I mean, you've heard me talk about like if you're in the binary and either or, logically we know there's limitless opportunities and potentials. But if we can't see that, and I mean, that's usually the whole problem, right? Is you feel like you have a choice, either or, and that's it. In that moment, can you challenge yourself to say, okay, I'm making an assumption here that there's an either or scenario going on. Now, logically, I am aware that there are endless opportunities. So if I can't see those in this moment, what if I pretended? What assumptions am I making? How am I limiting myself in this experience? Really powerful way. And I think the first step in the practice of possibility, because possibility doesn't exist in the binary. Possibility exists in the unknown. So by just simply choosing to believe Everything is invented. Everything is a construct. Everything is an interpretation and assumption I am making, regardless of if I like understand it or, or know where it came from. From that perspective, we take the first step in possibility. So step number one, it's all invented. Acknowledging our reality is only limited by our interpretations, our assumptions, by allowing, accepting, just choosing to believe this is all invented, we take the second step into the universe of possibility. What makes possibility your experience, according to Ben and Roz, is the other option is measured. It is data-driven. It is evidence-based. And there's no hope in an experience that is continually measured because it's simply defined. It exists within parameters, within structures, within systems. There's no hope there. And, and that's not a, a judgment call. Like, there's no hope. Ah! Like, no, it's, it's, um, it just means like there's no possibility. There's no hope. Everything is predictable. Everything is planned. Everything is a, lo a logical algorithm. And by stepping into the universe of possibility, you are challenging yourself to release the need to measure, to define to contain. 
And again, it, it sort of reinforces. And actually, that's what I've definitely noticed in, in like creating the how I wanted to talk about it for today's episode. Like each one of these steps really builds on the one before and could not happen without the steps preceding it. So first coming to terms with like my reality is is a construct and, and it, based on my interpretation, my beliefs, my beliefs are inherently limiting. And if I'm looking for the evidence or for the data or for the proof, there's no hope in that. So by stepping into possibility, I release the need to measure everything. That brings us to step three. And this is where this is where it kind of gets to get a little fun. So they call step three giving an A. And this is also where a lot of the case studies and a lot of the storytelling starts happening. And I think this is the first one that I like legit ugly cried. It was the story of a, a very shy violinist who was not struggling with a particular piece of music and a particular performance, but they like weren't engaging. And so Ben as the conductor had a chat with them and they were saying that the tempo at which this piece was being played disallowed them to hit a low note. They couldn't get the bow to that string in time. And that struck Ben because he's the one keeping the tempo. That's sort of what the one of the jobs of the conductor, right? And and so the conductor interprets a piece of music, understanding their players, the parts that are available, the 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 strengths and the weaknesses of their their orchestra and conducts them accordingly, leads them accordingly. It had never occurred to him to play this particular piece at a different tempo. And he said, rather than just practice over and over and over again, he went and listened to the music without this expectation around tempo. And oftentimes you can listen to tons of different orchestras, interpretation of a particular piece, working with a different conductor, so on and so forth. And he, he actually went through this entire piece of music and mentally performed it and, and at different tempos and, and sort of accentuating different parts of this music. And so when he led the orchestra for the next time, he led them in a way that allowed this player to fully express their vision for this part and everything shifted and it taught him so much about his own assumptions in terms of performance and how this piece should be played and and how you co-create with the energy and the and the talent and the the people around you and, and trusting what is going to happen might be different than the way I had originally intended it to be that that doesn't make it worse and in fact when you get that level of engagement from an artist it's it's going to be legit magic but I digress. <laughs> that story really got me. What he talked about then as a teacher of music as well, and he teaches at a couple different renowned institutions and is also brought in to teach specific classes, not just about the, the technical performance of music, but how to become a master performer of music and, and essentially interpreter of music. And he talks about this concept of giving an A. He And he's working with the best of the best. And I think you probably have a stereotype of a classical musician, someone who is at an orchestral or symphonic level of playing. Like these are incredibly talented people who have dedicated their lives to this art. And it is, it is technical and competitive only because there's only so many seats in the orchestra and there's only one first seat. And that, that typically suggests a, a level of leadership and, and 
technical ability and performance ability amongst just the, the same players of that particular instrument in the orchestra. I'm getting like way into the weeds on this one. Thank you for humoring me. So people who, whose performance and the measurement of themselves is their entire purpose for, it's, I don't want to say it's their purpose. It's what they've been programmed to believe is their purpose. And so again, if we're stepping into this, into this space of possibility, we are relinquishing measurement. So Ben created, or he tested a theory that if, if he just gives all of these people an A, what happens next? And I think we hear this a lot. Like if you just give everybody an A, then there's no reason for them to perform and everybody's just the same and you can't just give everybody gold stars. And, and okay, then maybe I'm not arguing with that. But what he witnessed in this book and what he's then applied over and over and over again is when you tell someone, okay, you're going to, you're the best, you are going to get the best mark. What you create is the possibility for them to fill out that expectation, for them to rise to the occasion of what the best would look like for them. When you create a situation where only one or two people can be the best and then the other 80% of the people are mediocre and there's probably going to be a couple of failures, at some point you kind of stop like trying, right? Because there's only, there's only one first place. But if everybody is first place, what shifts? And that's, that's what's possible. So what, what Ben suggests is you both invent and recognize that individual's potential contribution, which then leads us into the fourth practice, which is being a contribution. So you can see how to see all this stuff kind of starts to feed into each other. Like each step builds on each other. Being a contribution shifts the success that you desire in your work, in your role, in your responsibility, of which you probably have many. And it stops being this outward, externalized effort where you're not just trying to be successful. What you're doing is contributing. And suddenly your success is not measured by your performance. It's measured by how much you've been able to help those around you or the situation around you, the environment around you, et cetera. And I think this is also a really, really interesting spin. It like really overrides the measurement model. Because if you're not doing it for the, your own results, if you're not doing it to meet certain targets or, or timelines or deliverables, then you're just doing it to give. You're just doing it to be a part of something and potentially to even allow someone else to be even more successful. And I think, and again, in this particular part of the arts, it can feel pretty competitive because opportunity can feel limited. So those are all constructs, right? Those are all interpretations. Those are all measurements. And when we release those and the goal simply becomes, how much did I contribute? How much did I give? Suddenly we're, we're measuring our effort based on, could, could there have been more for me to give? Did I impact the people around me? Did I create something bigger and better than only focusing on my own? effort. So I find that this, this one, I think for me, really causes me to pause. I am, I don't want to say I'm performative, but I do, I'm very aware of how accountable I am to others. 
And I used to beat myself up for that. I used to feel really bad that like, if I want to get, you know, into a training program, I need to like sign up for a yoga class or hire a personal trainer or like create some sort of external challenge. Cause it felt like that wasn't coming from within. But what I've realized is actually like, it's that energetic exchange with people that like really gets me off <laughs> quite literally. And it, it, it is about contributing. Like, how do I know that this, like, how do I know I'll be successful at the end of this? One of those questions I always like to challenge everybody to explore. It's like, how did I make you feel? Like, are you enjoying this right now? Are you enjoying listening to me right now? Is this, is this book something that you didn't know about before and now you do? Have you ever thought about how could the art of possibility in your own experience? Like, it's that challenge to be contributive, to create something more. And that isn't driven by external metrics. It is determined by my intention of continually evaluating what did I give? How did I create? What possibilities were realized because of my involvement? And we keep building. So the sixth, the sixth practice in the art of possibility is lead from any chair. And this is definitely like an orchestral reference. But I think another, again, really fun reframe in terms of leadership to build, we're, you know, we're, we're realizing everything is a construct. We're stepping into this realm of possibility by relinquishing measurement. We're giving everyone an A. We're telling everyone, You've, you are fantastic. You have already won the game. You're already the best, which then challenges them to see, like, what can I do in this space? When I rise to the occasion of being an, an A student or excellent, what shifts in my own contribution? What does an A-level contribution look like and feel like? Do I, do I even know? Have I ever felt like I have quite literally done my very best? What happens when I assume that's where I start? And lead from any chair means like not only are we engaging in each one of those five practices, but essentially any one of us is the best and potentially the most advantaged to lead this group. And so I talk about this a lot in business, like, as a leader, your business should be able to survive without you. Uh, you know, how do you know you've done a successful job as a parent? Like your kids probably, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like autonomous. <laughs> They're self-actualized. They can take care of themselves. It's the same thing in business. Like, can you not show up one day and does everyone still work as hard? Can you not feel good? And is everyone else going to show up and, and like an A student? So many business owners kind of put themselves in a position where like, if they're not on their A game, their business suffers. And leadership to me is like, do you even need to be there? Have you made yourself indispensable and like completely replaceable all at the same time? Because the way that you've done things has been so distilled throughout the organization that quite literally anybody could step in and go, oh, well, BZ's not here today, but I know what she would do in this position. Or I know how, you know, I, I, I'm, I, this is, I think, how BZ would approach this and then approach it like that, not to like say that I'm my way or the highway. I think you get what I'm saying with all of this. So by allowing people to step up into this leadership role, by giving them the space to do that, by creating that possibility, you create an entire world of leaders where everyone is self-actualized, where everyone is holding themselves to an A-level standard, where we understand that it, it is the summation of all and that we are 
greater together than any any individual one of us. And, you know, the flip of side of that is like our individual behavior absolutely affects everybody else. So how do we want to show up? And and I think it's like that, you know, how would you show up if no one is watching? Leading leading from any chair means that despite the skill set or the responsibility or the influence that you perceive yourself or someone else is having. When you have leaders everywhere, when organizations are willing to allow every single individual member to be a leader, it creates such a compelling amount of momentum. And when we trust everybody to lead, this is where I see a lot of people really ch- like struggling in terms of management and delegation and teamwork is there's the, like this underlying assumption, these practice one, that my way is the best way. And oftentimes what I'll say to leaders who are struggling with attrition rates is, do you trust your people to lead? Do you trust your people to make decisions? Have you ever explored the potential that their way, albeit different, could potentially be better than yours? And this is, I think, the embodiment of and the understanding of of this practice and this ability to create possibility is that like every single person has the potential to be the leader. And how often are you giving them the opportunity to explore that potential? So that uh, will, we keep, we keep building on this because the, the seventh step is, oh wait, sorry. The sixth step, I tried to skip one on you, is rule number six. You see what they did there? <laughs> but what I like about the the sixth practice and rule number six is it's lighten up. How do you know when you've lightened up? Did you light someone up? And so they're having fun with it. It's very self-reflective here of like, let's, you know, rather than coming up with some esoteric, heady definition or label for this practice, we're going to make fun of it in and of itself. And I don't know. I, I, I got a kick out of that, especially when I was like reviewing all these notes and I was like, wait, what's rule number six? Wait, what's the sixth pack? Oh, it is to have a good time. And again, that, you know, how could you measure lightening up? Like, are you bringing levity to the experience? Are you offering someone else an opportunity to lighten up? It's that simple. When we release the pressure, I mean, I, you'd like creativity, possibility thrives in laughter. It, it shows up in moments of trust and uncertainty and creation and inspiration and play. This is where, I mean, you'll hear every single leadership guru out there talk a little bit about like, you got to play, you got to get out there, you got to create some spontaneity. And one of the next books we're going to talk about, that's like one of the success hacks is, is one day a week, do something you've never done before. Create spontaneity in your experience. Lighten the fuck uh, okay. So, uh, seventh practice, the way things are. And with the way things are, that one's pretty obvious. What Ben is talking about is this, this difference, the gap between what should be and what is the art of possibility thrives in seeing things as they are not as we wanted them to be, not as we thought they were going to be, and not as the way we think they should be. When we can meet ourselves where we're at and meet the situation where it's at without judgment, without bias, just by simply accepting the situation as is, that's where we can start to find, seek, create possibility. The eighth step is giving way to passion. 
And so I, I kind of went through the last few a little bit quickly because they're they're so intertwined. And by lightening up, by seeing things as they are, by you know letting every single person lead, leading from any chair, switching to a place of contribution as opposed to success as like an external measurement, we give way to passion. I'm going to go through that again because I kind of jumbled the steps, but like it, it's so fucking obvious to me that when I saw it stepped out like this, it was like this fucking genius. You focus on contribution. You relinquish measurement. You lead from any chair. You trust and believe you or anyone else could lead this. You lighten up. You see things for as they are and you find your passion because in that it's almost like you're getting naked, right? You are letting go of any external expectations, measurements, even the idea that you're the one that has to solve this, fix this, create this. And it's just like this empty canvas upon which you can start to create. Of course, you're going to start with the thing that you love. Of course, you're going to start with the thing that feels good, that feels exciting. That's your passion, my friend. And it also... You, this is something I've been talking a lot about as well, just in terms of leadership, is this idea of like it's full spectrum. So when are we really going to want to lean on the art of possibility? Probably when we're feeling like things are in like binary. They're not great. It is heavy. It is hard. It feels like we're it's an either or we're playing not to lose, right? And to me, leadership is like, okay, yeah, that was unexpected. That client just asked me to... <laughs> Have the budget by 80% and do the same amount of work. That's fucking ridiculous. Fuck that guy. Then it's like, okay, hold on. This is my longest standing client. There's a ton of loyalty and respect here. I know there's a possibility. I just don't know what that is. By stepping out these steps, by giving way to passion, it's like you're holding both ends of the, the spectrum. The like, fuck you, fuck me, fuck this. And I wonder what could happen. I wonder what happens if we laugh about this, if I take a break, if I go to play, if I call in some of the other people affected by this decision. I let them lead, but I bank on the possibility and I start with what really excites me. When we lean into our passion, it also creates the opportunity to participate wholly. When we are passionate about something, when we're really into something, we're not limiting ourselves for the most part, like when you're really in that space. But when we're not, when we're just showing up to get it done, we're probably holding back a little bit. And so all of this is just getting us closer and closer and closer to that possibility, that magic, the miracle. The next step is lighting the spark. And it's funny because lighting the spark is such a, a beautiful way of putting it. I think about this as just like getting buy-in. But lighting the spark is then sharing this passion, the way things are, lightening up, leading, contributing, giving an A, being excellent, and sharing that energy with others. So it's like, it's like getting buy-in because when people are on board or when you are on board with something, it's going to be a lot easier. It kind of goes back to the step, the previous step in terms of passion and like wholly committing to something, not, not giving it 80%. Not testing the water, like diving in head first. But there's, there's like the flip side of this, which is also trusting. You will ignite the spark in others. 
And if someone doesn't get it, if they're not your people, if you're not wholly on board, like it's going to be really hard to light that fire. And so what happens when you trust, like my people are out there. This idea is contagious. This idea is combustible. (laughs) Like it is ready to ignite and that I'm looking for my fire starters. And so I, I like it in terms of really leaning into this belief, this trust, this space, that's the art of possibility that I have full permission to go all in. There is no doubt at this point. When we're at the eighth step in the art of possibility, nothing can hold us back. And when we can share it on that level with that excitement, with that belief, it will compel those around us, assuming they give a shit. You know, for like, I don't know if you listen to classical music, but like, it's not the most popular genre. Sure, there's some pieces that are incredibly popular. But like someone who's obsessed with classical music or opera is like a a hidden gem that there's like this whole underground opera fanatics scene, especially in like younger people. It's actually pretty cool. I think I like anybody that's like obsessed with something. Right. But like if I'm talking to you about opera, you don't give a shit about opera. Like I'm. I'm igniting the spark is is probably not going to happen. And so that's where I think, especially in business and for creatives, like find your people. And how do you know? Because you light them up. You light them up by bringing levity to the situation. You inspire them with passion and you light that spark and the flame ignites. The 11th step is be the board. And at first I interpreted this like the board of directors or like the board members, but what can happen, and, and I mean, I'm sure there's a million times you've had this amazing idea and you, you all, all the 10 steps of possibility leading up to it have been here and you get to the spark place and you're so excited and you're finding people that believe in this and then something happens. Blame is a pretty natural place to go, right? We blame the external world. We blame the man. The, we blame the system. We blame our resources. We blame our skill set. We blame all sorts of shit. And what when we be the board, and and I think randomly, because I thought, you know, I, I haven't heard there there was no mention of like the avatar design and the video game playing that's that I think a lot of us are kind of leaning into in terms of like how we create our own realities and live our lives. But what Ben is talking about with be the board is like be the game board. When you lose the game, you don't blame the board. And by being the board, there is nothing to blame. There are pieces, there are players, there are rules, there are strategies. And as the board, regardless of what happens, you're simply like holding space for that. You are the container for this exercise. And as the board, you also have the perspective of all of the pieces on it. And so if you're familiar with chess, if you think about Like if you're playing the game as the queen, you're going to have a very different perspective and approach than if you're a pawn. And I think a lot of us feel like pawns. Maybe not every, maybe not you listening to this. You're you're probably more like knight, (laughs) maybe queen. And and you might have some of those like tricky dicky moves that, that exist in chess. But the board gets to see all of the pieces from both sides. The board knows the strategies. The board knows the the bad habits, the poker face, right? And so when we can be the board, we really step out of the personalization, 
the ego, the assumptions, like you can see how like all 10 steps would roll up into being the board. And it's, it's taking ownership of I am the framework. I am the creator of this experience. And if something isn't going my way, how can I look at all of the moving pieces, all of the players, all of the strategies, in fact, the board we're even playing on to affect change, to contribute, to highlight your passions, to lean into the art of possibility? I I don't know if I'm like overwhelmed by the power of this book. It's felt a little bit different from me trying to explain it to you. And so I'm actually really pleased with the fact that I'm leaving the 11th or the 12th step, I should say, the visionless mission to you to research. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser because I love the way that they kind of break down like their concept of a vision because I haven't thought about it like this. But obviously for people who are trying to relinquish any form of measurement, who are understanding that it is in our connection to each other and our trust in the unknown and the intangible that possibility exists when you think of the vision. It's obviously going to reflect all of that. So hold on. I actually, this is all happening in real time. So, so a vision articulates a possibility. It fulfills a desire fundamental to humankind. There's no reference to morality. There's no specifics around time, place, audience, product. It is freestanding. It is a possibility that radiates outwards. And even just speaking the vision transforms the speaker. So they go through a couple of examples and talk about what happens when you implement this visionless led organization with goals and objectives. And actually, Roz wrote The Pathway to Possibility, which is an even more in-depth framework to the art of possibility, transforming our relationships with ourselves and each other and the world. And so if this, if this book has sparked anything in you, I like, I think more than every other one I've presented so far, I would really encourage you to check it out. The storytelling in it is phenomenal and really, really touching, which is helpful because I think stepping into the art of possibility and choosing to live in a world where, especially when you feel hopeless and especially when you can't see any options, you choose to practice possibility, everything shifts. I I like can't even believe that I would I would call myself an optimist. My 25-year-old self is rolling their eyes like so hard right now. But what I realized is it's not just about like, oh my God, everything's going to be amazing. Like it's going to be the best. As a leader, as a creator, as a change maker, it is fucking hard. And there are no answers. I'm in the process of creating a new business that doesn't, a business model that doesn't exist. And I'm having to use banks and investors and financers that are obsessed with the old ways of doing things and the spreadsheets and the data and the measurements. And so by trusting, I can create this. I can create a business that benefits everybody where everybody has a say using blockchain <laughs> as the, uh, the, the platform upon which to build and, and doing this in a very 3D way. Like this isn't just going to be some DAO that lives on in the digital world. This is a physical business with like food and 
employees that are having to show up and work every day, it would be so easy for me to A, just do it the old way, or B, think if this was impossible. Those feel like my two choices right now, but I am practicing possibility and knowing. I don't know what the next step is yet, but by accepting that everything has been invented in a construct, including my expectations around what's possible, choosing, I'm literally banking on the wild card, the thing that I don't know is going to happen, the possibilities that are available. I am, <laughs> I am trusting. It's, it's actually funny. I was going to go through the giving the A step, but like I'm, I'm going to have to build out a blockchain or not a blockchain, a, a cryptocurrency and an NFT and a community. I don't know how to do all of that, but I'm going to give myself an A. I'm going to tell myself I'm the best at this. And in saying that, I'm creating the space for me to step up and perform to that level. And it's not even about me. It's how am I contributing? Like, how can I benefit everybody that works with me on this, including all of the community members that are going to participate, aka shop and buy at this location? How can every single person lead? I'm literally going to give them a vote. I'm going to create an organization where it's like a publicly listed company and every single stakeholder can not only see what's being transacted and happening, they will have an opinion about it and I will take that into consideration with everything that I do. I fucking hope there's going to be someone out there that has a hell of a lot better idea of how to do this. And I'm going to give them the space. I'm going to give them the microphone to speak up. I'm going to make this as much fun as possible. Believe me, you, I am going to lighten up. And that for me is actually the thing I really need to focus on the most is how can I create play and levity in everything that I do? Accepting exactly where I'm at right now without judgment, without a story around it, without bias. So I can focus on what I am most passionate about and find people and give them the space, the seat to lead in where they are most passionate. I mean, I'm lighting a spark right now. Are you excited? If not, that's cool, man. Or other, you know, woman or whatever. <laughs> Such with deep respect. It's cool. This isn't going to be for everybody. It, the people that it is for are fucking excited about it. And the other people are like, that sounds impossible. And that's okay. I can be the board. I can see all of the players. I know what their roles are. I know what their powers are. I know where they get to move. I know what agency they have. And I can allow them to move as freely as possible to perform to the best of their ability and get exactly what it is they're seeking without even knowing what that means. So that's how I'm applying the art of possibility. I would love to hear how you are going to start practicing possibility. Let me know. Hello at NicoleBC.com. Comment, like, share, rate, feedback. <laughs> Sharing is caring and any one of those steps absolutely qualifies. I would love to know your thoughts. If you got this book at any point, whenever you are hearing this, please let me know. I am at the BZ channel on all social networks and you can find me at NicoleBZ.com whenever you need. I, I always have a lot of stuff going on. When this goes I was going to say when this airs, nope. And then I was going to say when this goes to market, also nope. But uh, this should be publishing right or right after I launched the Web3 Basic B Guide. And I'm doing some fun stuff with the anti-business school. So I would encourage you, if any of this has tickled your pickle, to check out what is happening. Sign up for The Loop. That is my monthly newsletter. NicoleBZ.com is where you can do that. 
and you'll you'll get to be in the loop. You'll be the first to know when I open up the doors to the anti-business school, when super special access or opportunities pop in. What I will say, if you're listening to this and you want to work with me as a coach, the uh, the people's marketplace, which is what the church is going to evolve into, is happening. And my ability to work one-on-one with people is going to be impacted. So get me, you know, on your calendar, schedule that free strategy session to see if, if you jav with me and yeah, let's get it going. Thank you so much for listening. Get the book. That's all I got to say about the art of possibility. I love you. I wish you all the best.